Hello, and welcome to the BPL podcast. My name is Josh, and in this episode, I want some of the BPL staff to share their favorite releases from this past year. I separated these into five groups, adult books, youth books, movies, our newest category, video games, and music will be last. I listed everything in the description if you need to just pull a few books. BPL staff did not hold back. All right, first up, adult books. Hi everyone, my name is Debbie. I work at the Bexley Library and I enjoyed so many wonderful books in 2022. Here are some of my favorites in no particular order. Uh, debut author Xochitl Gonzalez wrote Olga Dies Dreaming. It's about New Yorkan, Puerto Rican, and New Yorker Brooklynites, Olga and her brother, who are doing really well. Prito is a popular U.S. congressman and Olga is a very successful wedding planner for the Manhattan elite. But behind the scenes, Prito has moved in with Olga after his divorce, and Olga wonders if she'll ever find her own love story. Also, both Olga and Prito can never please their absent activist mother, who abandoned them when they were children, but continues to write letters about how they can improve their lives. As the hurricane season starts, their mother blows back into their lives. A family story about a sister and brother wrestling with identity and family secrets as well as which portrayals of a New Yorkian culture and a look into New York and Puerto Rican politics. This is our BPL book for January. Join us on Monday, January the 9th at 7 p.m. I love graphic novels, and I thought Flung Out of Space, inspired by the indecent adventures of Patricia Highsmith by Grace Ellis and Hannah Templer, was excellent. It's a biographical novel about the controversial author Patricia Highsmith. The book is centered around the time in Highsmith's life when she wrote the lesbian classic, The Price of Salt. As portrayed in the novel, Pat is an endearing but maddening person, a strong personality who makes her way as a writer in an industry dominated by men, very witty with a dry sense of humor, but also a self-hating lesbian who is anti-Semitic and self-sabotaging. I felt that the novel really worked as a graphic novel, not only because the art is a perfect complement to the story, but a little-known fact is that Patricia Highsmith worked in comics before she made it as a writer. Now, if you want a bit of a chill this holiday, The Fervor by Alma Katsu might be the book for you. Alma Katsu is one of the greats of historical horror. She's written about the Donner Party and the Titanic, and now she's written a book about the American-Japanese internment. Set in 1944 with multiple storylines and characters that all have one thing in common— eerie encounters with tiny translucent spiders, an apparition in a kimono, and the remnants of what appear to be paper parachutes. A creepy, compelling historical novel that combines the very real horrors of Japanese internment with something even darker. If you enjoy social horror like The Steppard Wives or Get Out, you should try The Fervor by Amakatsu. If you want some spice to go with the sugar of the holiday season, the romance You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akweke Emizi might be the book for you. Five years ago, Feye lost the love for life in a traffic accident. She starts staying the perfect guy, but discovers she has feelings for someone else who is off limits and must decide just how far she's willing to go for a second chance of love. A look at complex people and the messiness of love and finding joy when recovering from grief. This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub is a heartwarming, delightful tale of time travel and second chances. 
that Alice Stern wouldn't say that she's unhappy. She lives in a studio apartment in Brooklyn, has a good job, and still hangs out with Sam, her childhood best friend, and has a great relationship with her dad, uh, Leonard, the famous author of a time travel novel, Time Brothers. But now, her father is very sick and is in a coma, and she visits him in the hospital every day, but it's taking a toll. After a drunken 40th birthday evening, she ends up visiting her childhood home and falls asleep close by. But when she wakes up in the morning, she's in her childhood home. She hears her dad in the kitchen and finds herself heading off to SAT tutoring and preparing for her 16th birthday party that night. As she moves to the day, she tries to figure out how to get back to her life as a 40-year-old and whether she can do anything in the past to improve her future and save her father's life. It's a, a charming novel that asks the question, if you could change the past, would you? I hope you all had a wonderful year of reading and a wonderful 2023. Hi, everyone. This is Beth, and I'm a public services associate at the Bexley Public Library. As we get closer and closer to wrapping up another year, I want to talk about some of my favorite nonfiction books from 2022. Admittedly, this was a difficult task to choose only a couple of books, as I read many excellent books this year, but I chose three of my top favorites to share with you. Some you may have heard of, and some that may have flown under the radar. But without further ado, the first of my favorites is probably one you have already heard of. Making a huge splash this summer was I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. Though, to be fair with a title like that, it's no surprise it got so much publicity. For those who haven't heard of it, though, Jeanette McCurdy was a child actress who is most well-known for her role on the Nickelodeon show iCarly. I'm Glad My Mom Died is McCurdy's memoir, and she recounts her complicated, toxic, and abusive relationship she had with her mother growing up. Of course, like many abusive child-parent relationships, McCurdy doesn't understand her mother's abuses until she is an adult and attending therapy. McCurdy writes that acting was never anything she enjoyed doing, but because of pressure from her mother, she pretended that was something she wanted to do. On top of being pushed into a career at a young age, McCurdy also talks about her struggles with eating disorders, something she developed at a very young age, when her mother taught her how to restrict calories. Of course, the subject matter is pretty heavy, but somehow McCurdy is able to write about her experiences in a way that is raw and emotionally difficult, but also quite frankly hilarious. There are several times throughout the book that I find myself laughing, or at least chuckling, out loud. I don't myself read too many memoirs, uh, but I think McCurdy's offers some of the best of what the genre can offer. It's raw, it's intimate, uh, looking to her own individual life, but at the same time, she's situating her individual story into the larger society around her. And on an aside, uh, last month it was confirmed that McCurdy has a two-book deal with Ballantine Books, and McCurdy will write and release her debut novel. I know I'm very excited to see what McCurdy writes next, and will be requesting the book as soon as I can. My next nonfiction pick of 2022 is Wastelands, the true story of farm country on trial by Corbin Addison. Wastelands is a real-life David versus Goliath tale. The book takes place in North Carolina, where resident sued Smithfield Foods Incorporated, 
the largest pork processor in the country. To understand why the residents sued the company, it might be good to give a little background on how pork is currently processed in the U.S. First, it's important to note that most of the hogs raised for pork in the U.S. are raised on what are called concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs for short, or what is often just referred to as factory farms. These feeding operations tend to be owned by individuals who have a contract with Smithfield to raise the hogs until they are ready for processing. North Carolina ranks in the top five of states that raise and produce the most hogs in the country, and the amount of hogs raised in the state has exploded dramatically in the past few decades. In the early 1970s, North Carolina had about 18,000 hog farms, but with an average of only 75 hogs. Today, it has over 2,000 hog operations, but with herds as large as 60,000 hogs. And as with any other animal, these animals produce a lot of waste. Indeed, in North Carolina, uh, these hogs produce anywhere from three to ten times as much waste as the entire city of New York does. So what do these feeding operations do with that much waste? Well, the waste is pumped into large pools called lagoons, and one lagoon is able to hold enough waste to cover 15 football fields with waste that is one foot deep. But of course, the lagoons can't hold an unlimited amount of waste, so what happens when they fill up? Well, when they're full, the untreated waste waste is sprayed onto nearby fields. Addison, the author, describes how giant spray guns shoot 200 gallons of waste per minute into the air. That's a noxious mist with a muddy pink color that drifts from fields into the surrounding area. Addison writes how residents could hear the waste that was sprayed falling onto their homes like rain. And DNA tests revealed traces of hog waste inside the homes of residents, in kitchens, on refrigerators, and on stovetops. After years of having to deal with such living conditions, and after asking contractors with Smithfield to change the way they dealt with the waste, as well as years of appealing to state and local authorities, these residents, who incidentally were mostly poor and black, decided to sue Smithfield for the deterioration of their quality of life. While Wastelands is a true story, it actually reads like a thriller. It's full of memorable people who are masterfully depicted so that they become living, breathing characters in the pages of Addison's book. Though the book is thorough in its research, indeed the book is more than 450 pages long, it's no slog at all getting through the book. The book is eye-opening in understanding the lengths that a multi-billion dollar company would go in trying to avoid responsibility. Incredulously enough, uh, during the trial, the defense actually attempted to convince jurors that it wasn't clear that the smell from this kind of spraying would be really that bad. And though it isn't much of a spoiler to reveal what actually the outcome of the trial was, uh, the journey we take along the way to reach the trial's conclusion is really just as satisfying as the verdict. And my final book is a bit like my previous pick in that it's a tale so wild it sounds almost made up. Uh, The third of my favorites from 2022 is Unmask Alice, LSD, Satanic Panic, and the Imposter Behind the World's Most Notorious Diaries by Rick Emerson. So Unmask Alice tells the true story behind two of the most famous diaries in the literary world. 
Uh, the first was Go Ask Alice, which was published in 1971. And this was supposedly the diary of a teenage girl who fell into using drugs after attending a party with some classmates. Her life dramatically spiraled after she developed an addiction. She ran away from home. She lived for some time in the streets in California. She had a psychotic break. And by the end of the book, there's an editorial note stating that Alice tragically passed away. The diary was sold as a real-life diary of a real teenage girl, and it was a major publishing success. Critics at the time hailed the book and deemed it necessary reading for young adults and their parents. Copies were sold out, and libraries had difficulty in meeting the demand of their patrons. Fast forward a few years, and Jay's journal is published in the same vein as Go Ask Alice. It portrays itself as a real diary of a real teenage boy, Jay, Jay is a 14-year-old boy, an upstanding Mormon teen in the town of Pleasant Grove, Utah. He's a Boy Scout, goes to church, loves his family. One day, though, while working at the family's drugstore, he catches the attention of a girl from school who is known for using drugs. Soon, Jay starts using drugs, too, and begins stealing from his family's pharmacy. He's caught, but then he's sent to a reform school where he joins a group of other teens who begin experimenting with practices and ideas that... We may now just call New Age. After leaving school, Jay is determined to go back to his old self, uh, but then he falls in with another group of teens and begins using hard drugs again and engaging in even darker practices, including animal sacrifice. Jay eventually comes to believe that he is possessed by a dynamic force, and after a struggle fighting this force, he tragically dies by suicide at the end of the book. Like Alice, Jay's journal is also a publishing success, and it's not surprising. The two diaries seem to have a lot in common. They're two true cautionary tales about teens who strayed and died at a tragically young age. Perhaps more so in the case of Alice, uh, these books actually still have a lot of cultural import. I myself read Go Ask Alex nearly four decades after it was written. But above all, the most important common thread between the two, they weren't in fact real diaries and they were both actually written by the same woman. Unmasked Alex tells this unbelievable true story, how woman, one woman was able to trick the publishing world into believing that she was in possession of two incredible diaries. The woman was Beatrice Sparks, and she eventually published actually a few more diaries under the same guise, and given her influence on the young adult genre, managed to find herself at one point being a judge at the National Book Awards. Emerson's book is incredible in the thoroughness of its research, and it's very well written. Emerson combines an academic level of research, but with a personal tone that makes the book just wildly readable. Like Wasteland's Unmasked Alex reads more like a work of fiction, while telling the story of how Sparks was able to con her way into the publishing world, Emerson also situates the diaries in a larger context of the drug scare and satanic panic in the years and decades that followed, and while the story of the two diaries is unbelievable enough, the impact they had on the larger society is even more so. Uh, also, unlike Wasteland, The Mask Alice is a bit on the longer side. It's about 400 pages, but I personally finished the book in just a couple of days. So for anyone who may not be traditional fans of nonfiction, I do think this one is worth checking out. Howdy, everybody. It's Amanda from the Youth Services Department. And I'm here during our year-end roundup to tell you a little bit about some of the best youth services materials that have come out over this past year. 
Now, of course, youth covers a very wide range of ages, and so we're going to be kind of breezing through each age range pretty quickly. I'm going to tell you a little bit about one entry from each age range in depth, and then name drop some of the other really good entries from this past year. All right, are you guys ready to go? Let's do this. Now we're going to start at the very beginning with our 0 to 3 age range. Down in Youth Services here at the Bexley Library, that would mostly be our board book selection. So I've found what I think of as maybe the best board book that we've got this past year. Now, our number one winner, at least by my count, would be The Hair Book by Latanya Yvette. Now, this book is illustrated by Amanda Jones, who does a wonderful job with the illustrations. The colors are so bright and saturated, which is perfect for our youngest readers. The brighter and more saturated a color is, the more contrasts that there are between colors, the better that our youngest friends, whose eyes are still developing, can see the illustrations and participate along with you as you read. Pair this with some really good selections of just different types of hair and the words that go with it, and you have a beautiful, diverse book. There's all sorts of hair showcased in this, by the way. Everything from long hair to short hair to party rockin' hair to cornrows to buns and everything in between. It's a really great book with really great illustrations, and I recommend picking it up for your newborn friends. And that brings us to our three to six and up age range, or our picture book collection. I know this is the one that everybody has been waiting for. Everybody loves picture books. Now, it was really, really hard to pick the best possible picture book for this since there were so many really good books that have come out this past year. But I think I've settled on one that is just honestly super enjoyable. And that would be My Parents Won't Stop Talking by Emma Hunsinger and Tilly Warder. Now, this book talks about something that I'm sure we've all experienced, which is that you are an impatient young child and the adults in your life will not stop talking to the other adults and get on with whatever it is you are trying to do. Now, poor Molly just wants to go to the park. And her parents have run into the neighbors on the way out of the house and will not stop talking to them. And so she's had enough at that point. She can be patient at school or at the dentist or at a dance recital or anywhere else, but she wants to go to the park and her parents will not stop talking. And so she has to deal with this. And the book does such a great job of just showcasing all the different emotions through all of her facial expressions. The art is beautiful. Tilly Warder does an amazing job with the art in this book. And the dialogue, all of Emma Hunsinger's dialogue is just beautifully witty. And it's a fun read all around. But of course, there are other super amazing books in the picture book collection this year, too. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Mermaid Kenzie, Protector of the Deep, which is both a really great mermaid story and is also a great story for talking about protecting the environment. Now, that one's by Charlotte Watson Sherman and Geneva Bowers. And for our juvenile nonfiction collection, we also have Sports Heroes, Inspiring Tales of Athletes Who Stood Up and Stood Out by Mia Kasseri and Iker Ayastaran. And that's a really great one. It's lots of different stories about different athletes overcoming all sorts of things to be the amazing athletes that they are today. Now for our middle graders, that's our late elementary school up through middle schoolers, we have another amazing selection of books. And so it was really hard to narrow these down as well. 
However, I think my favorite from the past year has been A Taste of Magic by J.L. This is the perfect book for kids who have read Harry Potter or School of Good and Evil or any of those other kinds of Magic Academy type books, and they just want more out of the genre. This particular book follows Kiana, who is a young witch who has just recently enrolled in Parker Magic Academy, and things are going great. She's learning magic, and it's awesome. But the school loses funding, and she's given the option of either attending a much more expensive magic academy that she can't afford across town, or losing her magic forever. And so she decides to start baking to earn the money to keep her school open. And so she enters a baking competition, and it is just a rollicking story. There's baking, there's magic, there's friendship, there's all sorts of things going on in this book, and it's all around just an amazing read. However, of course, that is not the only thing that has been super awesome for those middle graders this past year. I was also a big fan of A Duet for Home by Karina Yang-Glazer, And this one follows a pair of sixth graders who live at a homeless shelter. And when a new policy threatens to force them out of the shelter, they stand up to band together and save their spot in the shelter. Super great, super empowering message. And I've also been a big fan of the Shinji Takahashi series. Now, this one's by Julie Kagawa, who normally writes young adult things. And so it was really interesting to see her take a dip into the juvenile collection. Uh, This one, I'm not going to spoil for you guys, but I do recommend it. It's a very good adventure series. Super fun. Speaking of our YA collection, there has been a wide amount of things that have been published in the past year for our teen readers. Now, I will admit, though, it was not as hard for me to pick a favorite in our YA collection as it was for the other two age ranges, because hands down, Iron Widow by Shirin J. Zhao is my absolute favorite thing that has been published in the last year, maybe even in the last five. This particular book follows the 18-year-old Zatian, who is uh, a new mech pilot. She's piloting a giant robot. And in this world, they are piloting these giant robots to fight off mech aliens who have invaded their world. And mechs in this world have to be operated by two people, a boy and a girl. So she has signed up for the girl's position in this giant mech. And I'm honestly not going to spoil the book for you. There's so much going on. There are giant robot fights. There is action. There's adventure. There's love. There's drama. Anything you could possibly want in a YA novel, this book has it. I have never gasped out loud at a plot twist in a book until I read this one. And I definitely want anybody who enjoys really anything in a book to give this book a try. However, there were some other really good things that were published over the last year as well. I'm also a really big fan of the YA thriller book, We Made It All Up by Margaret Harrison. And this one's super good. Uh, It focuses on a new student and the town pariah, Vivi. And it explores acceptance and that thin line between fiction and reality. For our K-pop friends, we also have Once Upon a K-Prom by Kat Cho. And of course, for our friends who just are looking for a really good realistic fiction book, try Loveless by Alice Oseman. Now, 
Don't get me wrong, friends. I love books as much as you do, but I also know that they're not what everybody's coming into the library to find. So I'd also like to take a second to highlight a couple of our children's board games that are available either here at our library or through other libraries to look into for the holiday season. Now, board games, by the way, are a really, really great educational tool for children, especially up through those early elementary school ages. They help build literacy skills, they help build problem-solving skills, and they help to teach some really important concepts like following rules and being a gracious loser. So keep that in mind while you're doing some holiday purchasing this year. First up on my list, and the one I'm going to focus on, is the Builders and Biomes, the Minecraft board game. So this is a really good pairing of, uh, you know, all of the things in Minecraft, which, of course, we all know every child has played at least once, right? Nudge, nudge. Uh, but... It's all about, you know, collecting those rare blocks, building structures, and every time you play, it is a new adventure. And everything is randomized, so you always get a slightly different game every time you play. I'm also a big fan of Draftosaurus, which has come out semi-recently as well. You're basically running Jurassic Park, and you're trying to find the thing that will help your dino park attract visitors better than anybody else. Both of these games are really super fun, and I definitely recommend them to anybody looking for some non-book items to either check out or to get your family and friends for the holidays. All right, that's all we've got here for the Youth Services Department. It's been lovely talking to you guys. We'll see you guys at the library. My name is Luke, and I'm here to talk about some movie recommendations from this past year. There were plenty of new releases and great films that came to theaters or found their home on the various streaming platforms, but I'll be discussing a few of what I think are some of the best movies of this year. The first movie I'll be talking about is The Batman, which is another entry into the ever-growing Batman movie franchise. Featuring Robert Pattinson as a young and brooding Bruce Wayne, this movie finds Batman in the first year of his vigilante lifestyle. Batman must navigate the fragile world of crime syndicates, petty thieves, a violent serial killer, and his own family legacy. Batman must track down and stop the mysterious Riddler before he can kill again, and this manhunt forces Bruce to fight his own personal demons. Accompanied by one of the greatest scores of this past year by Michael Giacchino, and terrific acting from a supporting cast that includes Andy Serkis, Colin Farrell, Zoe Kravitz, and John Turturro, The Batman is the best superhero movie that released this past year, and in my opinion is even in contention as the greatest Batman movie of all time. My entry for the most wild movie of the year goes to Everything Everywhere All at Once. Directed by the team known as the Daniels, which consists of duo Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner, this movie is built on the YouTube generation, and it definitely shows. Frenetic editing and wild storytelling builds around the multiversal jumps within the movie. Following a Chinese-American immigrant named Evelyn, Everything Everywhere All at Once is a story about the possibilities of life and how the decisions we make affect those we love. While meeting with an IRS auditor hilariously played by Jamie Lee Curtis, Evelyn discovers she has the power to access other multiverse versions of herself and gain their various skills. For example, she can access a world where she's a martial artist and fights off multiple henchmen. As Evelyn discovers the lives she could have had if she changed one minute decision in her past, she reconnects with her husband and estranged daughter. This is the best movie of the year for me. I saw it three times in theaters and was enthralled by the action set pieces, pulled into the fun of the multiverse, and yes, I even cried at certain points. This movie is the perfect balance between amazing action and beautiful emotion. 
Another movie that I saw multiple times in theaters is Top Gun Maverick. I found every excuse I could to get more people to go see this with me. Tom Cruise spent almost four years delaying and perfecting this movie, and he definitely made the correct decision. The planes in this movie are real. The actors had to learn how to fly the jets. How awesome is that? There's one scene in this movie where Tom Cruise is flying a difficult course, and the score just cuts out so all we can hear are the engines and Tom Cruise grunting and breathing heavily as he tries to steer the jet around the terrain. It's one of the most thrilling scenes ever put to film. Maverick is also one of the few examples of the sequel being better than the original. This might be sacrilege to some, but the time and effort put into this movie by the filmmaking team to make this the most realistic and exciting jet plane action movie of all time is so astonishing there is no other way to put it. This is the most exhilarating movie of the year and probably even of the last few years. The next movie I'll talk about is Nope. Jordan Peele has earned his status as a top filmmaker of this generation and Nope definitely solidifies that honor. What begins as a classic UFO story evolves into a mix of statements on black filmmaking, Hollywood history, the symbolism of images, and the depths to which we will stoop to get them, and even becomes an homage to Peele's favorite directors. Daniel Kaluuya plays the stoic and somewhat skeptical hero of the movie, while Kiki Palmer portrays his energetic foil, and both carry the heart of the movie. A thrilling and edge-of-your-seat watch, and with one of the most suspenseful third acts from this year, Nope is a phenomenal movie. Squeamish viewers beware, however. Nope contains some pretty harrowing moments and one scene in particular that might be one of the most disturbing sequences I've ever seen. If you can make it through those, however, you will be very much rewarded. Some honorable mentions from this past year include X and Pearl, which are two horror movies that recently came out. Uh, X is a 70s slasher homage to those kinds of movies from the era, and Pearl is a prequel and deals with one of the main characters from X. Both are great horror movies and deal with issues of fame and stardom. Ambulance is another movie that came out this past year and is Michael Bay's newest movie, and it is just pure insane fun and adrenaline and is definitely a great watch. All Quiet on the Western Front is another recent release. Uh, I think it's the best version of that story, and it is amazingly well-made and is one of the best anti-war films of the past few years. These are just some of the movies that came out this past year that I would recommend. They make for some great viewings and are all entertaining and very well made. Come in and check them out or place a hold. Enjoy the movies. Hi, I'm Owen, a public service associate here at the Bexley Public Library, and these are my three favorite video games from 2022. I love cats, and I've always wondered what it would be like to move and explore like one. Stray, a game that takes place from the third-person perspective of a cat that the player controls, gets about as close as you can get to that feline feeling. From darting through narrow passageways and leaping to and from platforms, to bounding up walls and obstacles and scurrying between shuffling feet, Stray really makes you feel like a cat. (laughs) And it's a wonderful experience. The main gameplay focuses on solving puzzles to progress the story, but I honestly had the most fun just running around being a cat. You can sleep like a cat, meow for anyone to listen, nuzzle up against strangers who all react to you in different ways, or do my absolute favorite thing, knock objects off of ledges. The environment the game is set in, a tightly crammed, walled city populated by robots, is the perfect space to explore as a cat. It may not have the most moving story, or the most exciting gameplay, But at the end of the day, it's a lot of fun to run around the confines of the city as a cat, which is why it has to be one of my favorites of 2022. 
My next favorite game of 2022 is Raft. Raft is an open-world survival game, and it's an underrated gem. You start on a 2x2 raft in the middle of the ocean, surrounded by sharks, with nothing but a hook to throw and collect materials with. It's then up to the player to survive, craft new items, expand their raft, and explore the vast ocean for the game's storyline, which is out there waiting to be found. Exploring in Raft is a lot of fun, and since your raft is always moving, there's always somewhere new to go. The game is unapologetic about trapping you on your raft with no context, but slowly figuring out the story bit by bit as you discover new areas makes for a satisfying gameplay experience. Where Raft truly excels is in the co-op mode, as surviving on the open ocean is a lot more fun when you're marooned with a friend. You'll argue about where to voyage next, what new items to craft, and how the raft should be designed and upgraded. But it is a lot more fun than going it alone. If you enjoy survival games, especially co-op ones, then I'd highly recommend Raft. Just watch out for the sharks if you decide to go for a swim. My personal favorite game from the past year is Elden Ring. It's an action-based role-playing game from From Software. Combat, exploration, and character customization are the main features of this game and it delivers in spades in all three. The most impressive facet of Elden Ring is the map. It's massive and immense, and the areas of it vary greatly. From large grassy plains dotted with ancient ruins to undead wastelands, there is so much to explore, and each area feels intricately connected to the last. The game also features story and lore from a Song of Ice and Fire author George R.R. R. Martin, so Game of Thrones fans will feel right at home within the game. Much like the Dark Souls series of games that it is based on, Elden Ring is a very difficult game. You will struggle mightily against all manner of bosses and creatures, and will often fail multiple times in a row. It takes practice, dedication, and all manner of items and equipment to overcome the obstacles in your way. This may not sound like a fun game, but the empowering feeling of overcoming what is in front of you is especially satisfying in Elden Ring. When you take down a boss, you really feel like you've earned it, and it is this feeling that makes Elden Ring so addictive. With a breathtaking world to explore, a limitless amount of character customization, thrilling combat, and an underrated story, it's a game that is truly epic in scope. No other game from 2022 feels as immense as Elden Ring and it is this that sets it apart from others. If you can learn to enjoy the challenge, then Elden Ring is absolutely a must-own. To wrap up the roundup, I have a few albums that I fell in love with this year. Sometimes I find a musician who releases such an amazing album that I feel required to listen to all their subsequent albums. Madison Cunningham released Who Are You Now in 2019, and I was hooked. You can imagine my excitement when she announced Revealer would be released in 2022. The bare bones of her songwriting feel familiar, entrenched in 60s or 70s pop. But especially with this album, she takes some big swings in terms of arrangement and production. Uh, you'll hear it in this song, Sunshine Over the Counter, with its bubbly arrangement made of woodwind instruments, guitar with these otherworldly effects on, and this perpetual rhythm that kind of pushes the song forward. Here's uh, Sunshine Over the Counter by Madison Cunningham. Mm -hmm. 
Wilco has become somewhat of an institution at this point. They've been playing their brand of indie singer-songwriter alternative rock for almost three decades. For their newest double album, they lean into country as a musical style, as well as making America the subject of this album, which I think is very clever. A rarity these days, it was recorded with the whole band playing live in the studio, and the song I'm highlighting today, Falling Apart Right Now, has a lyric I'm very fond of, don't fall apart while I'm falling apart. Two, three, four. Now don't you fall apart while I'm falling apart. Why don't you get in line behind the tears I'm crying? I know our hearts are very smart, but you're gonna have to learn. A friend recommended Natalia Afrocade to me recently, and I was sad to say I'd never heard any of her music. She's a singer-songwriter from Mexico who's been releasing albums and winning awards for the last 20 years. What hit me first was her dynamic voice. She has this way of luring me in with a hushed lyric uh, that I don't understand, by the way, because it's in Spanish, and then punching me in the face with this beautiful belting tone. Parts of this record pull from Bossa Nova, which is a soft spot for me, with Joby-esque melodies, Sergio Mendez-like arrangements, and that certified Astrud Gilberto coolness. Here's the title track, De Todas Las Flores. De todas las flores que sembramos Solo quedan unas encendidas Cada mañana se pregunta ¿Cuándo llegarás para cantarles? Las lunas menguantes que nos observaron Sobre mares lloran lágrimas aradas Como tu caricia Dulce como amarga Deliciosas las mañanas, laberintos en las madrugadas Como tus caricias, suave como espina Se me va clavando sobre el pecho toda esta melancolía En este jardín de rosas, bugambilias sin tu compañía Julian Lange's new album, View with a Room, is another great jazz trio release with amazing musicians. I am very fond of the drummer Dave King, who has a, a unique style and a sound I don't hear often. The headliner is obviously Julian Lange, and he is without a doubt one of the greatest jazz guitarists of all time. He has vaulted himself with the likes of Wes Montgomery, Joe Pass, Django Reinhardt, and Pat Metheny in his relatively short career. Here's their tune, Chavez.
you for tuning in to the BPL podcast today. Like I said, I put all the items mentioned today in the description if you need to quickly pull a title or two. To find out more about the Bexley Public Library, including upcoming events, visit our website, bexleylibrary.org, or the handle at Bexley Library across all social media platforms. Special thanks to FOMO Deep for lending us their song, Bourbon Neat, for the podcast. Please check out all their music at FOMODeep.com. Email me with any comments, questions, or suggestions at podcast at bexleylibrary.org. Thank you.